Hello, folks. Welcome back to Forge Ghost Coast to Coast. This is Episode 6, Return of the Novels. My name is Brian Salvatore. I will be your host through this penultimate episode of our podcast. Yes, it's true. We are winding down to the end. We're going to do another episode this week, which will be all monologues again, based on our excitement for The Force Awakens and my kind of dream for this. And I want to say this before it comes out. If you're a listener to this show, if you've been enjoying it, I kind of want this... Uh, not want, I kind of dream that this is what people listen to like on the way to the theater to get hyped for The Force Awakens. And they get to hear all these other fans talk about what they love about Star Wars and how excited they are for Star Wars, and then we get into it. That's my goal. I don't think it's going to happen for anybody, even for me. I'm going with friends. What am I going to do? Hey guys, let's uh, listen to this podcast I made, right? Yeah, that'd be fun. We're not going to do that. But a boy can dream, right? Anyway, tonight's all about the novels and one uh, reference text about Star Wars. And why don't we start with that reference text with Vince and James. I'm uh, here with James, and he and I are. I'm James. <laughs> he is James, and we're going. To, we're going to talk about uh, the idea of the Star Wars encyclopedia. Um, I I believe that he and I had different volumes of this thing, but yeah. Uh, what do you have? I think I had like the DW edition. Is that what it was called? Oh man, I just googled DW, and it's clearly not a thing. Isn't DW one of the characters from uh, DuckTales or <laughs> uh, from Arthur? You freaking Generation Xer! <laughs> oh, that, uh, oh no, DW was Darkwing Duck. So we're off to a stellar start here, staying on topic. Um, but uh, but no, uh, I remember my encyclopedia, my Star Wars encyclopedia, as I have described on this podcast, is like my gateway into Star Wars. Yeah. Because I like didn't really read the movies. I just read like the recaps in the books. And I was like, this is so cool because it would put it in context with like Knights of the Old Republic and the holiday special and everything else. So I was like, what a cool little fanciful world. Yeah, really. Like I've been to. everything was like cross referenced and like like it, it really was taking all these myriad things and putting them together in one bigger thing that kind of made sense for the most part. You could really like just get like all like the themes and stuff just from this book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really was all there. And I think the reason I think ours differed because from what I remember of you talking about it on your little segment, that yours had prequel stuff in it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and see, mine was mine was the Star Wars encyclopedia, but it was pre prequels. Yeah. So it didn't have any of like. No trace of Jar Jar. Anakin's story is like significantly different, I'm sure. He like woke up on the wrong side of the bed one morning. <laughs> yeah, and then he was. And starving. now he's the Dark Lord. Yep, exactly. Oh, um, yeah, mine, mine like had literally everything. Yeah. So it started off in, um, with like Knights of the Old Republic a thousand years before the prequels. And then it went through the prequels and it went through the vintage movies. 
and it went right into all like the expanded universe stuff with like Chewbacca dying and mm-hmm. Palpatine like getting a sexy clone body, <laughs> you know, like you do. Uh, yeah, as you would. Um, yeah. So so mine had some of that stuff, but then obviously like at that time there was no Knights of the Old Republic. Mm. Um, so like there is like a severe lack of jedi lore in mine yeah. you know my, well that's my, like still from when they were like kind of it was still like relatively uncharted ter- territory yeah where like they had the movies and then people at marvel would be like i don't know what the fuck to <laughs> you put in a rabbit like han solo will anyone notice it's not like this is gonna be a big deal and then like 30 years later a drunk 20 year old is on a podcast and making fun of them for making a rabbit star wars character <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah, so so my version of the encyclopedia is mostly filled with, like, aliens that had literally five seconds of screen time. Oh, and like Bosk? Like Bosk. Exactly, like Bosk, like um, the dude whose head is shaped like a squid. Oh, yeah, that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever his name was. Um, like, I'm pretty sure there's an entry for the medical droid that that – saves Luke after, um, <laughs> like, attaches Luke's hand or whatever happens, you know, after, or the robot hand. Um, Bib Fortuna has, like, four pages of story for some reason. <laughs> it's just, I, I remember as a kid reading this and thinking, like, Admiral Akbar had five lines in Return of the Jedi. Why does he have four pages of story? In this I think thing? that's, like, such an innocent time in media where like you didn't really get any spinoffs or anything so you only for like 30 years would just have these three movies and so you had to like do what like you could with it yeah it's like when you just get like action figures as a kid and it's like it's up to you just like to like bang them around however you want but now like kids have like the skylander toys where like it's a toy but it's also like just a video game you just have video games that are like all put out there for you Totally. So there's like this, like so somewhere in like 1982, there's just like the six-year-old who's like watched Star Wars like seven times and is trying to like come up with new stuff. So he's like, "What's that Bosque guy in the background? <laughs> what the dinosaur man doing?" And he just like looks at a wall, just imagines, and he ends up writing Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I feel like um, now if you try to get like extra info on, like, background characters and movies and stuff, like, you're really just going to find fan fiction. <laughs> yes, that's that's a very good point. That's very much what a lot of this feels like, you know? Like, um, like of course, there's a female and a male um, offspring of Han Solo, and, of course, they're, like, basically younger versions. You know, it feels very much like, oh, this is Han Solo fan fiction, mm. uh, you know, with the... There's like the Sundere son, and the, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's like so many expanded universe stuff where it's very clearly writers just wanting to work with like their favorite characters. Yep, yep. Which is why I, I really like Knights of the Old Republic because Bioware was just like handed the Star Wars prequels and they were like, no, no, yeah. we, we, we're Bioware. Bye. <laughs> Is there, is there any way we could literally start a thousand years earlier than that? 
that that seems a little extreme. I, I don't know if you got we, we, we you can play with Darth Vader. No, <laughs> Just, we don't we don't give a shit. Yeah, we're Bioware. So your your encyclopedia had those. That's that's awesome that it had those well, games th- in it. Yeah, I think my encyclopedia was like a series of encyclopedias because I remember it's like this. It was like this encyclopedia series that would like have every thing for a thing. That doesn't sound like it makes sense, but they had, I remember they had an edition for the Incredible Hulk, which made me love the Incredible Hulk. Mm. And like certain things stuck out to me. So when I was eight, the only thing I knew about the Hulk that like stuck with me from the encyclopedia was that he had one friend who died of AIDS. <laughs> okay. And, uh, I'm not laughing at that. I uh, I swear. No, like when I was eight, that was like one thing I could name off the top of my head about Hulk. Um, and the other was that um, apparently everyone on Earth, except for him, died because I thought that like one of those like weird miniseries where like everyone dies except for the main character like was actually going on in Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like. So um, this encyclopedia series, which I cannot for the life of me find any information on. Encycl- oh, DK Books. <laughs> there we go. Uh, DK Books like would do encyclopedias where like they just took everything written about something and just do it for Star Wars or Star Trek or Star Wars or Star Balls. Sure. Yeah. So they had uh, the stuff from the comics and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, they had that, um, there was like a two-page recap of when, of that comic that came out between the, uh, episode four and episode five, where Luke and Leia are like stranded on the swamp planet and totally make out. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, man. So they reference that, huh? Uh, they don't reference the making out, I found that part (laughs) out later. But they're just like, they went on a swamp planet, looked for Darth Vader, and had a good time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man yeah 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 so are, is there anything else you specifically remember about the book one thing that I thought was cool um, just real quick here was in the encyclopedia I had they had a lot of pictures from the movies but actually most of the artwork was from the comics yeah which when I got the encyclopedia so like I got this encyclopedia for Christmas one year after I had watched the original trilogy and basically didn't know anything about Star Wars beyond that. And so I got this book and I'm paging through it and I can't believe all the things that I'm reading that actually have a backstory, you know. And then I'm seeing all these images that are clearly from comic books and I'm thinking there's like a whole world of comics too that I haven't even read, you know, like. It was really striking to me, and and a lot of the art is really cool too. Um, I wish they credited some of the artists because I'd like yeah. to know who some of this was, but um, they don't really do that. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting just with those type of things. There's very few media properties now where there's like a whole world that you can explore beyond the movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it feels much more limited. Like, I would say Hunger Games is sort of, like, one of the modern equivalents to Star Wars in terms of, like, mainstream relevancy and stuff. But it's just so limited to, like, the movies and the books and the prequels that the studio wants, but, like, are whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is interesting because you, you'd think these days they like milk everything dry and but they're not no quite there milk. yet. No one milks anything like everyone in the world milks Star Wars and Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's even like a thing I feel like in comic books now where even comic books don't really feel like a coherent universe all the time anymore. Yeah. Like, very clearly, like, creator-owned books. Right. Like, they're, they're, like, all, like, more self-aware about it and, like, divided up. And, like, that's not what Star Wars was for a lot of people. It was, like, a whole universe that, like, had an encyclopedia to set down and, like, define it. Yeah, and, like, there has to be a committee, basically, to decide that everything is okay. You know, like... Yes, the com- the committee gives a unanimous thumbs up to Luke and Leia not having ever made out before. Yeah. So <laughs> the committee gives a thumbs up to that rabbit guy having never existed. <laughs> yeah. I, yep. <laughs> I will like that. Like I will give twenty dollars to like the universe if when I see episode seven he just like shows up again for revenge. Yeah. A Han Solo bunny dude. Yeah. Just wait. Kieran Gillen will throw him into a book or something. He'll be in the background. He has a name, and it is Jackson. Oh, thank Who's you, Brian. <laughs> Jackson Brian? Brian Salvatore. Oh, Don Pardo. I, 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 I stole Jesus. We have an open-door policy. Um, I'm back from the dead. I just like the idea of J.J. Abrams flipping through his own copy of the Star Wars Encyclopedia and just being like, canon, not canon, 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 not canon, not canon, not canon, canon. He's barely looking. And he's just ripping out anything with the prequels and (laughs) tossing them across. Yeah, eating them, basically. (laughs) All of Star Star Wars Knights of the Republic 2 is canon, but Knights of the Old Republic 1 is not. (laughs) Yes. What do you mean by that, Abrams? Well, is there anything else? The holiday special? Oh, go ahead. the holiday special, Abrams? Oh, uh, yeah, that's canon. <laughs> that's, of course that's canon. What about episode five? Not canon. <laughs> I'm going to revisit that. <laughs> Make some changes. <laughs> Luke is Darth Vader's father this time. Because <laughs> Mark Hamill's so old, have you seen him? J.J. <laughs> Abrams is now like a gentle southern man. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about? Encyclopedias? Yeah, I, I think that's a great place to actually end, actually. <laughs> Going on a high note. <laughs> I'm really garbage and I'm struggling through Tumblr right now, so I'm just going to throw this in. There is a post whose source is suryes.tumblr.com, C-I-R-Y-E-S, where it's just, Brian, feel free to edit this out. It's just kids react to Order 66, and it's a picture of, like, kids looking up at Anakin as he takes out the lightsaber. (laughs) Brian, edit this out. I will not be editing that out. (laughs) Can you edit out the part where I admitted I was drunk? No. Great. Can you send this directly to my grandparents? Yes. Uh, great. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. <laughs>
I am joined tonight by my friend Zach Wilkerson, and we're going to talk about a series of books known as the Thrawn Trilogy. So I read these books a long time ago, but Zach, you just read them. So why don't you give us like a like a thirty second sort of overview of the of the type of story it is, when it takes place, and maybe some of the big players in it. Okay. Um, well, it is the follow-up to Return of the Jedi. It takes place. It starts about five years after the end of Return of the Jedi, and it features all of the big original trilogy characters, um, and they're kind of just dealing with the aftermath of the war with the Empire. Um, it doesn't wrap up quite as nicely as you would have expected at the end of Jedi. The Empire is still a you know a present danger, and even more so with the introduction of a Grand Admiral, who apparently the Grand Admirals were the best of the best in the, in the Imperial Army, and this one is a, is a secret Admiral that no one really knew existed, and he's the, the titular uh, Thrawn, and he kind of just causes trouble for, for the heroes. That's a, that's a pretty succinct um, description. So the first one, the first novel in the series, Heir to the Empire, came out in 1991. And so that was uh, eight years after Return of the Jedi? Yes. And, you know, it takes place a little bit, it's not quite in real time, but it's almost in real time. You, you, could, you kind of felt like, at least when I was, I read the books not long after this. I believe I read the first one in the spring of... 94 if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. so when i was reading this it wasn't it wasn't hard to picture the actors from the films in their roles Mm -hmm. aging in real time which as a kid i think was very helpful actually Mm -hmm. you know uh it felt it felt contemporary in a way that i guess a lot of sort of extended universe stuff probably can't feel um right especially not now but it did then and so I was in uh, sixth grade, I believe. My family had gone to Florida on vacation, and we there, the place we stayed at, there was a bookstore across the street, and I had bought, I believe I bought the first two books on the same trip and read them both on our vacation. And I was instantly drawn in. Um, but, you know, I was a kid who loved Star Wars. It, it's not, not that much of a of a stretch to be drawn in. I'm interested to hear, Zach, how you found the books, having read them as an adult. Okay, so I can't remember exactly when I like learned about them or even when I bought them. It, it had to have been sometime after Revenge of the Sith um, because that was like really kind of the high – I don't want to say the height, but that was when like my Star Wars fandom really kind of hit the like plateau that it's kind of been at in my uh, adult-ish life, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that was when I kind of, like, was conscious of it more. And I, like, sought stuff out. And so I quickly, like, learned about these books. And I think I picked them all up in pretty quick succession. I, I definitely read the first book, I want to say, when I was in college. Um, or maybe, like, late high school. So that was a long time ago. Maybe, I mean, you know, relatively. Shut probably up. about Shut up. I mean, like. <laughs> You're trying to make you feel old. <laughs> no, no, sorry. It was probably, like, six or seven years ago that I okay. read the first one. Okay. Um, and then I kind of, I think I started the second one and then just got busy. I'm really bad about starting books and then putting them down and never coming back to them. And I actually picked them back up right, just, you know, just being excited about 
Force Awakens, I picked them up and started reading them again. And then, you know, you wanted to talk about them. And I was like, oh, this is a great reason to finish them. And I'm really glad that I did. They're pretty um, great, aren't they? They really are, yeah. Uh, Timothy um, Zahn is the author. We should say that. We haven't mentioned his name yet. And yes. um, I I know he's written other things. I know he's actually written other Star Wars books as well. But these are the only three books by him that I have read. Uh-huh. And what I think is so remarkable about them is he world builds constantly. Like, every page seems like you're learning more and more about the universe, and it's not like we didn't know a lot about the the world the Star Wars takes place in, but you feel so much more informed reading the books. And I remember just, you know, I had the little padded paper of uh, writing down different, like, alien species he mentioned, and different planets, because I didn't know if they were things that had been previously established that I didn't know about, and, like, he made me want to do research about Star Wars, Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was reading it. Uh, and that's actually, I think, to me, the biggest takeaway that I took from the books is just sort of the the idea that there's so much more out there to learn, so much more out there to read about Star Wars. Because I kind of... I don't want to say I thought it was just the three films. I knew there was more out there. But this is the first time it seemed worthwhile and really exciting mm-hmm. to find out about those other uh other parts of the universe but that must be very different than having read it after the expanded universe was already a very very big thing yeah i mean like you know i I kind of liken it to when i first got into comics um i you know i wanted more star wars and so i i go online and i look at like okay what are the big things what are the things that people talk about and these are kind of like the the Watchmen or the the Dark Knight Returns or something. You know, these are the ones that people always go to as the the best like starting point for for getting into the expanded universe. I think. Why do you think it's such a good place to jump in? Well, I mean, as as far as I know, I mean, I know that there had been some other novels like uh, uh, what the Mind's Eye, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. I think was like the first non-film novel there were um there were three han solo novels that that came came out in the late 70s okay um but those those were i think like almost i think they were rendered non-canonical almost as soon as they were published okay Um, well as far as i like to my understanding these are kind of the books that really kicked off the expanded universe as we know it yeah um and so I think there's that, you know, I, when I was first like learning about them, I, they were constantly described as episodes seven, eight, and nine in book form. You know, the closest we would ever get to episode seven, eight, and nine. That's how I, I believe that's how it was sold to me as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think that they're easily like one of the most accessible because they have like a a clear like foundation and a really easy premise to pick up. It's not like, and, and plus like there's something comforting about knowing like it's a trilogy. It's a self-contained story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's just something about them. And then, you know, there's, they feel like star Wars. Yes, Would they you do. Agree? Yeah. yeah I, I, I don't, I don't know what it is about it that makes it feel like star Wars, mm-hmm. but it does. I mean, I've, I've read some star Wars things that, you know, the the author maybe just, like, doesn't get the voices for the characters down, right? You know, the, they'll say things that, like, doesn't sound like something the character would say. But I would say that, like, Zahn has at least, like, you know, the the big three, Luke, Han, and Leia, he has them down. Absolutely. To, to a, nearly to a T, you know. 
there were only like a handful of times when maybe a character would say something that I would kind of it would kind of like shake me out of the story. Like, oh, would they really say that? Does that really sound like them? It was rare. But I feel um, like whenever you're reading a book that involves characters you know that mm-hmm. isn't written by the original author, you're always going to find those moments. Yeah, yeah. But I was, you know, I think it's it's impressive how how like little that happens in these books just how how real it feels um and i think that's you know this is kind of like maybe something that would is best left to like wrap up but i i want to go ahead and like say that i think zon really kind of makes the star wars he like takes lucas's star wars universe and he kind of makes it his own while still staying true to what lucas did yes absolutely um, and, you know, you talked about some of the other books that he's done, which I haven't read, but I, I've looked into it. And it seems like he's kind of he created like a group of characters or, or things that are like very distinct to his these books that he went on to explore in other books. And it's almost kind of like he created his own Star Wars universe in a way that yeah. I think is really cool. The It's the kind of thing you see with like big name comic creators who use characters throughout different runs you know they they have like their own kind of you know like morrison's body of dc work or, or like jonathan hickman like yes. you could say like secret wars kind of is the end of the fantastic four story he started Ex- you know so exactly yeah exactly and i see it seems like zon kind of did that through his expanded universe work which i think is really cool yeah absolutely I'm actually just noticing two things. Uh, I'm actually holding my copy of Heir to the Empire in my hand, and this is the first edition paperback. Mm-hmm. Or at least I, I presume it's the first edition paperback. I don't think they were printing. Yeah, it's the first edition. Um, it's 91. On the back, at the first blurb, it says, Now for the first time, the authorized continuation of the legendary Star Wars saga. So I guess this is, to a certain degree, the first time they Lucas let somebody tell a sequel story. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. But I also just saw, I was looking online before we started talking, they just released a 20th anniversary version a few years ago. That mm-hmm, has that, a bo- silver, that silver hardcover one? Yeah, that has a bonus novella in it what? by Zahn about Thrawn. I didn't know that. So I have the original paperbacks, but now I'm thinking, maybe I want to pick up those hardcovers. Yeah. Let me see if the other ones have any... I kind of... I kind of think they only did Heir to the Empire, but I'm not positive. Oh, okay. Well, that's not a big deal, and I'll just pick up that one. Yeah, it doesn't appear that there's another one. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, I I think... I don't know. Like, I don't know where you want to go next, but I think one of the biggest things to come out of these books... I, I would say the biggest thing to come out of these books was... Marriage Aid. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to say one more thing before we get to Marriage Aid, which okay. is, um, I think part of the reason that this captured my imagination and maybe the imagination of other people is it was the first time we saw a what was then called a Dark Jedi, what's now called a Sith, that wasn't Darth Vader. Like you know, we didn't yes. realize the Emperor was. You don't really know what the emperor is when you first right, see the Jedi. Right, right. You, know? you don't. That's true. And oh man, and so like Go we, ahead. Get, we get this idea of the the force being light and dark through Vader, but you 
even from the from Empire, you recognize there's some good invader, right? Here mm-hmm. you see evil like personified, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you get a mentally insane Jedi. You know, like a a a. a it's just there, there, to me, this was the place where I was like, "Oh, there are so many stories to be told with Jedi." You know, okay. th- th- this was to me like I, obviously the Jedi is a very important part of Star Wars, the films. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is where the Jedi becomes, at least in my life, it was like, "Okay, this is what this is where I see the focus going." Okay. Yes. This we'll get to Mary Jade eventually, but you bringing this up has kind of put me down a different track. Okay. Um, you bringing up the idea of like, we see, uh, Zahn presents them as dark Jedi. The term Sith doesn't exist yet. Right. There are a lot of things in these books that now, like in a post prequels world don't mesh. Right. Um, um, things like the, the clone wars, the way the clone wars are presented. Um, and some other things, which I think is really interesting. I think it's interesting how Lucas used some of the things in the in these books, like Coruscant, which was introduced for the first time, it or named. was named named in, for the first time in these books. Yeah, um, we had seen it, but it it was named in these books. Um, and I wonder, you know, like what Zahn was working off of when he wrote these books. Like, did he? How much did Lucas? How much guidance from Lucas did he have? If and any. If any, yeah. And I wonder, you know, what... I wonder how much Lucas was influenced by these books, if at all. Yeah, I really don't know. Um, you know, obviously, this was a time before... I mean, I'm sure Lucas was in the earliest stages of planning the, the prequels at this point, right? You know, you figure mm-hmm. he was at least doing outlines or whatever the case may be. But, you know, and, and uh, Lucas is a bit of an unreli- unreliable narrator in a certain way. Because yeah. he, he says one thing at one point and then will completely change his mind about it. Like, you know, um, now he claims that it was always the story of Anakin Skywalker, Mm-hmm. And yet, when he made Star Wars: A New Hope, he didn't know that Anakin was Darth Vader, or that Darth Vader was Luke's father, or that Luke was Leia's right. sister, any of this stuff, right? And so, I feel like even if he did take from this, he couldn't take too much because he had to maintain the illusion that this was always the story. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, yeah. It's almost kind of, you know, now now these exist in the in the Star Wars legends, you know, the right. the non-canonical kind of like what if. And I kind of like that because these books already kind of don't match up with with the Star Wars proper and I'd kind of like to go now I, I'm kind of interested to read some of Zahn's more recent books like the ones that have come out after the prequels. Like I know there's one book um, it's called Outbound Flight, and it deals with the original Joris Sabaoth, the which in this book we we see his clone, who's right. one of the main villains. Um, deals with him in the in the prequel era, and it's I, I, I'd be really interested to see how he maybe does some like retroactive continuity to try and align with the prequels. But it's you know it's like this alternate 
universe almost you know we're we're used to that kind of thing in comics (laughs) yeah you know reboots and resets and things not matching up but you don't really expect something like that from star wars (laughs) no certainly not but But i'd be interested to see how he handled it yeah and you know that brings up an an interesting question do you think i i think as comic fans we have more of a stomach for continuity not lining up exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Hawkman. Right there, that should tell you, like, you know... <laughs> like, I, I, What's continuity? Exactly, yeah. I, I can I can deal with some fucked up continuity. Uh, but do you think that, that, like, you know, and this is maybe not the perfect place in this conversation to be talking about this, but do you think that this is going to hurt future generations for reading this book? Or these books, rather? Because it's it's not official canon? Because it doesn't line up exactly? I mean, you know, I think there are some people who who are going to be bothered by that kind of thing. But, you know, maybe at this point, they're not the audience for that. If you I think, you know, if you're looking for just a cool Star Wars story, you know, at this point, it's going to be a what if regardless. It's a really good story. And I think that should speak for itself. Yeah, you hope it does, right? Yeah. I mean, like I know that we have the force awakens coming up and Mm -hmm. regardless of how i feel about that movie and like where it goes next i'm kind of interested to follow this story still um yeah you know that he followed these books up with a a, two books um referred to as the the hand of thrawn duology and i'm really kind of interested to pick those up now and see where this goes even though it you know, in quotations, doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I think the idea of caring if something matters or not is something that all comic fans deal with, and I think all of us probably have a sliding scale of that. Mm-hmm. Some things we really care if they matter. Right. Other things we don't care as much if they matter. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not going to run out and buy, you know, just any random... Star Wars Legends book, but having read this, I kind of want to know what happens next. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alright, so let's get back to Tabara Jade. Okay. So, for those that don't know, she is a character that is so popular that she actually shows up in one of the special editions. I want to say she's in the background of Return of the Jedi in Java's Palace. That would make sense because they actually refer to her being there in these books. Uh-huh. I believe uh, they inserted her in there. I could be yeah. wrong, but I believe that's the case. Um, she was what was known as the Hand of the Emperor. And that that essentially means what, Zach? So she kind of was like a... She was trained by the Emperor. She had some Force sensitivity. And she would kind of go do these Black Ops missions for him. She was kind of like a almost kind of like a spy assassin, but she was also force trained. Um, she, she did secret things for the emperor. And I think as far as I can tell, she was kind of, a unknown even in most of the only, only by like the higher up Imperial agents. Yeah. You get the impression that, that she's sort of the, uh, like the, the secret ops for mm-hmm. the, for the emperor. Yeah. And 
a large chunk of this book and the series involves her trying to kill Luke Skywalker because she believes that Luke Skywalker killed the Emperor. Yeah. And so she is hunting Skywalker. Now, it gets a lot more complicated pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, the this book ends with them kind of having a, a weird... I'm sorry, the series rather ends with them having kind of a weird, like, respectful friendship. Yes. You know, they, they were, they've... they've been in battle together and they have um they've grown to respect each other but they're certainly not comfortable yet right well other. yeah i mean i don't how like spoilery do we want to get with this Look, we can get a spoiler as we want to these books quote don't count and they're also 20 years old i know they don't but you know if somebody's learning about these for the first time I'd love for them to go check it out. Do we want to put in like a spoiler warning right now? Yeah, sure. If you haven't read the books and you want to, um, you know, maybe take a little break here. And I would say if you jump ahead five minutes, we'll probably be past these or not. Yeah. Or so. Right. Do that. Yeah. And go. Okay. So, yeah. So when the book ends, um, you know, she's kind of, resolved her inner turmoil with like needing revenge on the for the emperor because um one of the big plot points in the these books deal with clones the the leftover clone factories from the clone wars and there's a uh the the climax ends kind of like the death star moment it, it involves this this dark jedi who is also a clone and a, and a cloned luke uh, who was cloned from the hand that he lost in Empire? Which I is, remember when I read that, it blew my mind. Such a great idea because you know I. It's really funny when I first learned that I knew that that happened before I actually read the books, and when I heard that, I thought, "Man, that sounds so dumb." Mm-hmm. Clones in Star Wars, and then I realized, "Oh wait, <laughs> there's a whole movie." Yeah. About clones in Star Wars. And, and two I, different TV series. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So when I got over that, I was like, man, this is really kind of cool. Um, and so, yeah, she kills that that Luke clone. Uh, Luke? Yeah, um, there's an extra U in there. That's how they designate these these clones. Um, they throw in an extra, an extra vowel. Um, so she kills this clone Luke, and that satiates her... Uh, her bloodlust, almost. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And so we're we're left at the end of the book with this kind of uh, tenuous friendship between them, which leads to more. Yes, and, and I guess this is this is where part of the spoiler warning comes into play too. In the extended universe, back then, she becomes Mrs. Luke Skywalker. Yes, and they have and... kids. Mm-hmm. Good old, uh, is it just one? I know they have one son named Ben. Do they have another son? I don't remember. I kind of think they just have Ben because the solos have the twins and then Anakin. Yes. And the the solo twins are an important part of the series too, but we'll get to that in in a minute. But the, um, yeah, Marriage Aid, for those that, that don't remember, like, the 90s Star Wars fans before the the prequels, she was, I mean, people were talking about doing a Marriage Aid movie. I, the first, my first memory of, like, authentic cosplay is people dressing up like Marriage Aid. Um, 
she was the subject of, of comics. She she is certainly the breakout character of the extended universe. Definitely. Um, and a pretty great character as well. Yeah, she is really cool throughout this this whole trilogy. I mean, she has like a, a believable and like sympathetic conflict. Um, she is, you know, is a, a female character who really holds her own and kind of isn't, she like doesn't fall like to a lot of the tropes that you see with those types of characters. You know, I've heard uh, like people talking about her and I didn't really think about it until they brought this up, but like in these books, she's never really treated as like a, um, she's never really like talked about for her like beauty or anything, even though like she is supposed to be like very attractive, but no one ever treats her differently for that. You know? Yeah. I would, that's not a part of her character. I would say that Mara Jade in these books is given more, um, oh, that's what I'm looking for. I guess respect, maybe from mm-hmm. the writer's perspective, than Leia is in the original trilogy. Definitely, like I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And to she me, doesn't have to wear a slave bikini. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> did you hear Carrie Fisher's thing the other day? By the way, I, I did. Yeah, it's pretty great. It is, uh, yeah. For those who didn't hear, she said it's not Slave Leia, it's like Java killing Leia or whatever, however right. she put it. Like, you know, he puts her in a bikini and she kills him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I will say that Mara Jade is sort of the one bit of the extended universe that makes me sad that it's no longer canon. Because I feel like she is such an important and interesting addition to the world that it will be really cool to find a place for her. Now, that's not to say that there won't be a place for her. You know, um, not to get too comic-y on a Star Wars podcast here, but I sometimes wonder if this is going to be like the New 52, where there's going to be (laughs) certain things that were rendered non-canon only to show up and be canon in another couple years. Well, you know... And she she couldn't be necessarily... I mean, we don't know. We have to see The Force Awakens and see where Luke is at this point. But there's nothing to say that in the last 30 years he couldn't have been married. Right. You know, I, I think that's interesting. I've kind of been a little worried about that, about the whole, like, New 52 vising of the Star Wars universe and, like, if that's what we're going to get. But when you mentioned, I had forgotten about this, and I guess we should, like, look into it more. But when you mentioned that we think she might have been added into the special editions. Mm-hmm. That makes her as like canon as canon gets. So yeah, she... which is funny because I'm I'm constantly calling for those to be made not canon. <laughs> so, but, but like that is as canon as it gets. So if that, you know if she is, then she is there, and the the opportunity stands for her to be worked in somehow. You know, she could have still been the emperor's hand, and I would love to see an anthology movie. Or something dealing with her in that in like the thirty year gap or whatever that yeah. would be that'd be huge. I would love that. And even if I would expect it to play out differently, maybe than it has here, and that's almost kind of even more exciting is to like see a, an alternate take on it. So I don't know. It's interesting because you don't want to just 
fall back on old stories. Like part of the reason that they did this was to tell new stories. Right. But you know, there are certain aspects of the old stories that worked incredibly well. And mm-hmm. this is one of them. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm never a fan of just wiping everything out. Right. You know, but we'll see. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to do some research here about marriage aid. Unfortunately, I'm on Wikipedia. That's the best. Well, yeah, but it's, been, but it's, I've but it's far too in depth. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I just want a quick answer here. I can't tell you how many hours I've spent on Wikipedia. More than I care to admit. <laughs> Apparently, she is in the uh, she's in the Force Unleashed video game. Oh, really? Yes. Um, she was in the Return of the Jedi radio drama. Huh. Um, I guess I was wrong. I thought maybe I'm thinking maybe there was a rumor at the time she was going to be in. I really thought that she had gotten placed in one of the films. I'm doing. I'm doing uh, let's talk we, about. We something. can like maybe edit. Oh this. wait a second! Wait a second! Wait a second! Hang on. It looks like there's a couple different videos on YouTube that say "Marriage Aid" in the special editions. But is that? No. Oh. I think those are just fans making them. Yeah, I think she's. She's been in maybe like, okay, yeah. Here I found like there's an image. Um, I think maybe it's uncredited. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, I think I was mistaken there. Yeah, me Sorry, too. Sorry, folks. I, well, I really thought that too. Man, bummer. Yeah, that's a missed opportunity. But still, maybe the next special edition. <laughs> I guess we won't be getting those anymore since Lucas doesn't have control of them, but... That know, would maybe... be like a huge middle what finger. The J.J. Abrams version exactly. of, the, of the originals and the prequels? Wouldn't that be something? I don't know if the prequels could be... <laughs> could be special editioned. You, you'd almost have to go out and film sets and then put the sets You're, in well, the background. That would be pretty cool if they went that far. <laughs> yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I, I would love to see more of Mara Jade in, yeah. the, in the films. I think that's a character that deserves to live on. Agreed. Um, but I guess the other big character... Um, that came out of this was Thrawn himself. Right. Who, um, spoilers, I doesn't actually make it out of the books, but I think he makes a pretty large impact as a character and probably one of the like best villains to come out of the expanded universe. I would say one of the best villains come out of Star Wars, period. Yeah. I mean, the Emperor and... Darth Vader have clear motive and etc. I, I 
almost none of the villains in the prequels have as clear of a motive or as fully developed of a character as Thrawn does. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a few times with Thrawn where, okay, so Thrawn's whole thing is that he can learn pretty much anything he needs to about his enemy by looking at their art. And sometimes this leads to some absolutely superhuman leaps of logic (laughs) that lead him to victory. And there's a character named Palian, who's kind of his like right-hand man who I, to my understanding actually like goes on to become like a fairly big character in like later books as well. But I, I, I'm not sure, but he, in these books, his job is basically to, their conversations kind of go like this. Thrawn will say something that sounds outlandish. Palian will doubt him. And then Thrawn will explain to him why he doesn't understand and then go on to do something awesome. <laughs> That's pretty much every interaction they have in this book, in, in all three books. Um, and it, it can get a little formulaic at times, but Thrawn's just so cool at everything he does well Thrawn almost reminds me of Sherlock Holmes in that way yeah he really is He's where very... Pallion is kind of his Watson definitely you know that's a perfect comparison uh and you're right like there are I remember there are points in the story where you where you just feel like all right you know we get it you know and I feel like some of that stuff isn't necessary it's not even like it's it's not like it's making a huge leap of logic because it's, an, it's a hugely impl- important plot point that has to get out Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's just showing off how great Thrawn is, right? But they also kind of portray him as like a meticulous guy, and like he's he's such a well-rounded character. Mm-hmm. You you really get a sense for who he is. He is, and he's very visually striking as well. Yes, um, in that like white grand Ad- grand admiral suit. Um, he he's an alien, which is very. You know, I didn't even ever, I never thought about this um, before reading these books, but there are no aliens in the Empire. They're all human. Um, and Thrawn was an exception. Apparently, the Emperor, aside from just being a really awful guy, was also xenophobic. <laughs> um, but he made an exception for Thrawn just because he was that that awesome. That awesome, yeah. Um, so he has like blue skin and glowing red eyes. He's really striking and not just i mean thrawn and pallian are huge characters obviously but this also introduces we mentioned before very briefly the solo twins Mm -hmm. which uh the birth of the solo twins is a huge huge scene in the film in the book rather uh, film. The alternate reality where these were actually filmed yeah, instead uh, of books in the in the nineties. Yeah, um, but you know, I, and the the Skywalker, sorry, the Skywalker, the Solo kids go on, I believe, both to be trained. Correct? As Jedi? yeah, yeah, and uh, some big stuff goes down with them. Yes, um, Jason especially, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they're very important. We also get a, a race of, and again, my apologies for the pronunciation of all of this, <laughs> because, you know, I just don't know. But the the Nori, the, the Nagri, I don't know. No, I, I always say Nagri. Nagri? Nagri? Yeah, I don't know if the G-H is supposed to be like a... Yeah, I have, I have no idea. <laughs> That's one of the things I've also, like, seen a lot about Zahn's books is his... Incredible naming conventions. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so many like apostrophes and extra vowels and it's very yeah. distinctive. Absolutely. Um, but they, they are introduced initially in the book as uh, sort of a, not evil, but as a, as a not well-meaning group of people. And in the expanded universe, they go on to become huge players on the side of, I guess, what's, is it called the New Republic in these series, right? They Yeah, they call it the New Republic. I think later books, like, something happens and there's some kind of, like, merging of the New Republic and the, the remnant of the Empire and they become the Galactic Alliance, or I think. Okay. I may be mistaken, but because, you know, I I piece things together from Wikipedia entries. But... Right, exactly. But um, but then but yeah, here they're like they are the new republic. Yeah, and so the Nagri go on to become like very very important, and we see that all happen. That's one of the great things about this book too is that these books. I keep saying this book as if it's one book, but um, Zahn really not only does he give you a lot of incredible story and incredible character moments, he also sets up so many things for the future. Like mm-hmm. you, you see Leia basically negotiate with them. And have them switch sides. That is, it is Leia, right? It's been so long since I read yeah, the books. Yeah, it is Leia. Yeah, but, um, but she she basically convinces them to join her side. And there's a whole series of books based around them uh, in the Expanded Universe. It was just, uh, you know, it's just another example of Zahn really doing a nice job of, of building a world that's important. And yeah. that can continue to grow. Uh, is there any any other characters or particular parts of the book you want to talk about? Um, I'm trying to think of ones that like really stood out. Well, oh, I guess the other big character, and this was um, Talon Card, yes, a, a kind of a Han Solo esque smuggler who has a a character arc pretty similar to Han in the original trilogy. You know, he starts off as this smuggler kind of out for his own interests and he gets pulled into this war um also i guess kind of you know lando kind of the same way he's the latest in this line of you know kind of nefarious not not bad guys they're not bad guys but you know gray characters who end up on the the light side i wonder if there's yeah i Obviously, I haven't read all all of the expanded universe books, but I wonder if there's a theory out there that like there are more characters who are morally ambiguous because they grew up in a society where the emperor the empire was so morally ambiguous, mm-hmm. and so like as the empire falls, we see people come back around to being good people. Yeah. That's a that's a really interesting thought. One of the things I really liked about these books is you kind of get this. Uh this band of, you know, kind of smugglers and crooks who form this kind of not-so-neutral third party Mm -hmm. running through the course of the books, which I thought was, like, a really cool, interesting concept. I I liked following their their story. And I believe a number of them continue on in the Expanded Universe, too. I'm sure they probably do. Like, it would be interesting... 
I'm sure there's there's got to be somebody out there who's made an infographic or something <laughs> that shows like all all the ties that branch off of these books and where it, they go. If not, folks, make one and email it to <laughs> forceghostc2c at gmail.com so we can see that infographic. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Card is a big... Yeah, and it's funny, we thought we were just praising um, Zahn's naming skills, and Card is probably his least creative one, mm-hmm. especially because his ship name is a pun. What is it? Um, it's the Wild Card. The Wild Card, yeah. You know, it's the least impressive of the names um, given out, certainly. But, uh, yeah, I think we've kind of covered all of the the big characters. What I forgot about these books, and going back and reading up a little, I read a couple of chapters of each one, and I was perusing some stuff on Wikipedia. I forgot just how much happens in each book. So much. It's amazing. Like, you know, you compare them to, like, one of the original Star Wars films, which, you know, a a lot happens, but... Not nearly the same. Exactly. You know, these are dense books. I would say that there are more action set pieces in one of these books than in the entire trilogy. Definitely. And, you know, I noticed it especially in the second book. Oh, that it's nonstop. Well, yeah, there's there would be moments when I would expect so something big would happen or there would be a big revelation. And in an, any other story, you would expect some kind of like decompressed follow up to that. But Zahn would just jump to the aftermath mm-hmm. like. You know, there would be, like, whole battles that would happen in the space between pages, and you would be just instantly brought up into the aftermath just because of, like, how much was going on, you know? And it and it still didn't feel like that, you know, there, no, you know, you didn't feel like you were missing out on things just because so much was going on anyway. Yeah, I think it's um I think in a lot of ways the books take their cues from Lucas because if you think about the original trilogy, like for instance, we talked about the clones so much tonight. The Clone Wars is mentioned once in the prequels. Mm-hmm. Luke I guess twice. Uh Leia says in, the, in her message to Obi-Wan that you fought with my father in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And then Luke says to Obi-Wan, you fought in the Clone Wars? And that's about it. Yeah. And we've extrapolated so much from that. And there's a bunch of moments like that in this in these books, too, where there's little ideas and seeds planted that clearly other people picked up the, uh, the slack from it and wrote about later. But also that, like, if you think about the Battle of Endor, when that ends, we get about 30 seconds of Han and Leia talking because she has to let him know... That she's that she's that that she's not going to wind up leaving with Luke. Mm-hmm. Other than that, though, there's no real fallout to that battle. Right. We, we don't we don't get it. You know, even Jabba's palace. That that was probably a more difficult uh, exit than we're shown. You know. Yeah. But, but it's just you know we're just kind of uh, big things happen and then yeah. we move on. You know, I didn't think about that, but you're right. It is there is a similarity there. Mm-hmm. I think one of the coolest things for me in these books was seeing Luke grapple with not really knowing what to do still in, in being a Jedi. Um, and, 
you know, at this point in the Star Wars, in the time of, like, of Star Wars, we still hadn't seen any other Jedi other than Yoda and Obi-Wan and, and Luke. Um, and you're presented with this uh, Jorus Sabayoth, um, who kind of take, sets himself up as like Luke's next mentor. Right. Um, and you know, you see Luke grappling with like how different he is from Yoda. And I wonder, like, maybe you can speak to this a little bit more, like at the time, like how do you how did you react to that? Because, you know, at that point we didn't really know what a Jedi was. Yeah. Um that's a really interesting question. I remember feeling like and this is maybe one of the reasons that I dislike the prequel so much is I felt like, and this is a very simplistic way of looking at it. So I, I'm, I'm aware of that, that being a Jedi was almost like being a police officer where there were some police officers that were really good people and some that are not so good people. Some that are quick to use their weapons, some that are slow to use their weapons, some that are in the inner city and some that are out in the country and so I was, because if you look at Yoda and even Obi-Wan, they don't appear similar at all mm-hmm. in their style, in their language, and they seem very, very different. And so I feel like it was always kind of presented like there wasn't just one kind of Jedi. And I feel like the prequels, to a certain degree, made us think there was only one kind of Jedi. Yeah, I can see that. And so when you meet... um the unpronounceable Jedi from these, from these books, it didn't seem all that unusual because, okay, that can be how a Jedi is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, I got to the part, there's a part where Luke sees him use force lightning on somebody. And to prior to that point, the only other person we'd seen use force lightning was the emperor. Right. And so you think, okay, this guy uses force lightning. Is that something that like Jedi did? Or is that something that only, like, bad people, bad Jedi do, like the Emperor, you know? And you kind of have to, like, wrestle with those things, and you have to wonder, like, what, you know, it's kind of like a question of the, like, the nature of the Force and Jedi and whatever, you know, what, what is it that makes a Jedi? Which is something, I think, that was still not really hammered out at that point. And to be fair, I think that aside from the prequel movies, it still isn't really that hammered out. It still isn't really. You know, I'm still like kind of waiting to see what happens in Force Awakens to see, you know, I still don't, there's, it's really funny how even after, what, almost 40 years now uh, since Star Wars started, um, how much we kind of like still don't really know. I think a lot of times we think we know more than we actually do just because we're so familiar with everything. Yeah. And I also think that depending on your tastes, you can take on certain aspects as being truth, Mm -hmm. even if they're just from one book or one throwaway line in a video game or something. If that, if that sort of lines up with your, um, particular like charism as a fan, you Mm -hmm. take it as gospel. Yeah. Anything else to add before we close down? Uh, I don't guess so. I could talk about these books for a really long time. They're I, they're awesome. <laughs> they're awesome, and you can find them dirt cheap on Amazon. 
Yes. So if if this conversation has piqued your interest in any way, definitely, definitely go out and try and find these books. Yeah. And I think, you know, in no way does the upcoming new trilogy lessen their 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 impact or their enjoyability. No, I think in some ways you're going to see how can I put this in a way that's not going to be insulting to a movie I haven't even seen yet. I feel like it's going to give you an entirely different appreciation for the type of things that can be done in Star Wars movies. And maybe it'll give you a little bit of reason to lament what isn't done in Star Wars movies. I -hmm. hope that the new movie takes away some of those feelings, but we shall see. Yes. Thanks, Zach. All right. Thanks, Brian. Hi, my name is Alice W. Castle. Um, I'm Matt Garcia. And I'm Jess Camacho. And this is going to be a short, hopefully, uh, <laughs> podcast talking about the new canon of the Star Wars novels after the acquisition by Disney. And I think I have the most experience with them as I've read all but one. And you guys have read most or some of them kind of sparingly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the I think the easiest way to do it is kind of briefly mention the ones that I've read that you guys haven't read as like a whether I recommend them or not, just kind of like run down the list. So the first one was A New Dawn. Have either of you read that? No, that was the Rebels tie-in one, right? Yeah. I have not. No. So the A New Dawn was... It's actually... I've, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of a good thing of... like It did what I think you wanted Kanan to be, where it does have that kind of all ages feel to it. It's a bit long for an all ages novel, I'd say. It's like one of the longer Star Wars novels that's come out since then. But it does have that kind of ologies feel, and it's about how Kanan first met Hera, who's the pilot of the Ghost, and kind of their first run-in with the Empire. So, like, again, it's not the kind of tie-in where you necessarily need it to enjoy the show, but it does kind of give you a bit more of the backstory of that character. And if you have been watching Rebels, I would definitely recommend it. I think it's been really solid. Um... What else have we got? We've got Tarkin, which I don't know if either of you have read. I have not, but I know somebody that like totally fell in love with everything that book was doing. So I did the same thing, actually. This was actually the first novel that I read. I left A New Dawn actually after this one, because they both came out about the same time that I got them both at the same time. But this was the one that I like kind of skipped to first. And it's written by James Luciano, who did the Darth Plagueis novel, which is like a Legends novel now, but was a really cool novel that looked at Darth Sidious's like master and how he like helped basically shape the entire like Star Wars universe with his actions of trying to like become the most powerful Sith. And so, it's this novel that shows 
uh, Peter Cushing's character from A New Hope, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, in A New Light, where you get to see his backstory, you get to see the planet he comes from, and like how he built himself up into the position he has in the Empire, while also having the story of him chasing down this like very small band of rebels. And it's actually just a really well-constructed story. It doesn't really do some anything huge that like is groundbreaking but it's the kind of story where you get a character that you don't know much about in the movies and actually kind of gives them this really rich backstory with which helps you kind of like identify them a bit more than just like oh he's the guy that blew up alderaan and then you hope so it's definitely one i'd recommend um this is definitely just turning into a monologue uh, um, so, so then, uh, let's talk a little bit about Aftermath then, um, cause I also Yeah, Aftermath. That. Uh, Matt, have you read Aftermath yet? I haven't yet. I'm like 40 on the library list. So, Aftermath is the, I think it's like the first story that came out after, in the new canon set after Return of the Jedi, right? Yes. It's like a new trilogy. Yeah, it? it's it's yeah. yeah. New, he's doing uh, Wendig's doing three of those, but they, the second two, the other two don't come out till after the movie. Yeah, so I actually really enjoyed this book, and I think it had the same thing with Shattered Empire, where people were going into it expecting all of these answers to whatever questions they had about whatever's going to be happening in Force Awakens, and. I didn't expect them to answer that. Like, why would J.J. Abrams let that kind of stuff be spoiled in a novel? So what I really enjoyed was watching the infighting with the Empire characters. And also, I don't know if you know this, Jess, but uh, Ray Sloan, who's like the main Imperial character in it, first yeah. showed up in A New Dawn. She's oh. like a main character in A New Dawn. So they actually brought her back for Aftermath, and she's like risen through the ranks and is like an admiral now i think so that was a really cool thing for me to see is how they like are bringing back these characters within novels by different writers that's something i thought was really cool yeah you know what i think i really liked about this book um it wasn't because it was kind of because it didn't give you so much about what was going to happen with the new movie because i think that's like kind of the unfortunate reality of winning a war like the war that they won it's not over just because the two big, big leaders of this are dead, you know? And I think it, I think there's so much more room for storytelling right after that time. So I kind of like that this book did that. Yeah, definitely. I think that was something that happened with like the old canon where a lot of writers just kind of like immediately transitioned to, oh, well, everything's peachy keen with the universe now that the emperor's dead. Yeah. yeah and, took over, you know. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now it's kind of become this thing where like the alliance does transition into a new republic, but it's still having to fight the remnants of the empire where all of these like they're like new grand moths who are trying to like vie for power and trying to take over and it's really cool to see that kind of like what happens to like an empire where the figurehead dies and everybody's like, Oh well I could be the new empire or new emperor. And I could have all the power, and I could just murder everyone. So I thought that was that was a really cool kind of like kind of political side to it. But having that mixed in with the uh, story of 
Nora, I think her name was. The like rebel pilot. Yeah, Nora. Like I really liked her story. Yeah. Um I so Aftermath is like the first big trilogy novel series from the like following the original trilogy and stuff, right? And I guess the most yeah. direct parallel would have been like the Thrawn novels by uh Timothy Zahn. Um are there like do you see like yeah. any parallels between the two cuz both of them deal with people trying to rebuild the empire and like the empire still kind of hanging around just because you know because palpatine's dead doesn't mean that like they're all dead yeah i think it does i haven't actually read the Thrawn novels because i'm a bad star wars fan (laughs) but there is i think kind of like Thrawn isn't in it which i was kind of i was kind of hoping for that reference but there is uh, a character at the very end who's like an unnamed Imperial Fleet Admiral that you like you don't find anything about. There's no description of him. He shows up in like an epilogue. And I'm really hoping for a Thrawn reference. I'm like holding out hope that the second novel is just by the way, <laughs> Thrawn's back. But I, I, I don't know if it will happen. But uh it, it, there is that kind of yeah, it's like watching these like Imperial characters try and like rebuild but also like take more power for themselves in an opportunistic way that the alliance doesn't have where they're just like we're going to set up the senate and we're going to like actually like help planets that have like been hurt by the imperial rule so you're getting to see the two sides of it but it's kind of in an abstract way where the main story is about this like rebel pilots that's uh stranded on the same planet as these like big imperial meeting and she's trying to get off with her son so there's like an actual personal human story being told within it which i really appreciate yeah it's not just politics for the sake of politics cough prequel trilogy cough (laughs) (laughs) um how about you jess do you have any familiarity with the thrawn books because i have actually those are the only like eu books i did read before they jettisoned it all I don't because I'm such a bad Star Wars fan too. <laughs> I haven't read. I don't think I've read any of the um, now non-canon novels. I mean, I've seen them and I know people who read them, but I've never read them. Usually, for my knowledge, I go to my my boyfriend. He's like, "Yeah, I read them all," and I'm like, "Well, tell me what happened here." So. Yeah, my my cousin he read all the books. He owns every single one. And his heart broke a little bit when he found out none of them mattered anymore. As far as as far as like the new trilogy and the history, he's like, "What do you mean it doesn't matter?" He's like, "You know how much I know." I'm like, well, it doesn't, "Doesn't count anymore." I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that was the thing where like, as much as it was easy for us to kind of like get into this new stuff with the clean slate, people who had been like following it since the seventies must have really not liked that change. Yeah, he actually, I asked him if he had read Aftermath, like, maybe a month after it came out. I was like, have you read it? And he was like, like no, I'm not reading those. I'm like, why? And he's like, because they don't see all the stuff on the count. He's like, I don't want to learn all this new history. I'm like, you know you're going to do it. So just get it out of the way now. Be a grown-up. And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he hasn't read any of the new books yet, which is a shame, because I think, he, I think he'll enjoy the, the three uh, young adult books that, that all came out together. Yeah, I have read those ones, so if you want to talk about those... Yeah, that's actually a pretty good segment of those, because I think, out of all the novels that have come out, those are three of my favourites. Oh, they're so much fun. I think they did really well. Yeah, they're so much fun. Um, 
I think of the three, um, even though I love Luke, my favorite was Smuggler's Run. I thought that was so fun. Smuggler's Run was really great. I think that shows... I think we were talking about this a little bit in our comics discussion, too, about Greg Rucka as a strong plotter and, like, character person. And that just having him rely on his prose showcased that a lot. Yeah, because he, if I remember correctly, did actually start off as a novelist before transitioning into comics. So I haven't actually read any of his old novels, but it was good to actually experience his prose side to writing. And I think it definitely worked, especially for a character like Han Solo, who's definitely a like very Greg Rucka character, I think. Yeah, I feel like Greg Rucka's based off a lot of his career, like taking Han Solo and putting him in different bodies <laughs> and being like, yes. <laughs> so it, it felt like a really good fit for him. And it was just it was just a really great kind of chase thing. It didn't bite off more than it could chew. It had pretty... Uh, digestible like steaks and stuff, and you could understand where everything was going. I thought Smuggler's Run was a really, was a really yeah. Fun. And I I really liked um the ISB agent with yes. the one eye. Yeah, it was a very like oh, Greg man. Rucka female character TM. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I really really thought she was cool. I oh what was um, her name? Um, a Beck. Something. Commander, Commander yeah. Beck, Alicia Beck, I think it was. Yeah, Alicia yeah, I Beck, her. I think. Like, the moment I finished that book, I was like, so when does she get her book? Like, when's <laughs> right? that book? I want to read that one. There was a, a measure of disappointment when I was... Because I think I read Smuggler's Run first, and that... Was that the first one that came out? And they all um, came out... Uh, they all came out they together, come out simultaneously. I think, on, on Star Wars Day. I think they all oh, okay. came out the same day. Um, but yeah, that, but I, I read Smuggler's Run first as well. Yeah, yeah. I did too. Because I think, yeah, I didn't think she appeared in the other two books, which was a little like, oh, that's a bummer, because <laughs> she was a pretty badass character. Yeah, I had read Smuggler's Run first, because when I got all three of them, the only person I was really familiar with was Greg Rucka. So I was like, I feel like this is yeah, the way same. to start. I, feel like, I felt like, knowing his comic book work, that that would have been the best place to start reading the books. And then I just jumped right into the other two. I was like, no, these are awesome. <laughs> um, what about yeah, the other I, two? I did something very similar. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I was, as you, yeah. like resident Luke, Luke Skywalker is my favorite Star Wars character person. I feel like remiss to like not mention that Weapon of a Jedi is amazing as a Luke Skywalker novel. I really loved what I think Jason Fry wrote that. Yeah, yeah Jason um, Fry. Like, having him go to a planet name that I don't remember, uh, I don't know, Star Wars planet. It's the 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 alternate the same planet actually. <laughs> having him go to that uh Jedi temple was actually something I thought was really cool and having him like connect to the old like Jedi order in that way and have like even though there's no actual Jedi there, having those like little probe droids to like help teach him like using a lightsaber was a really cool thing to read. Even though if it, it was like 90% of the story. There was like four chapters in a row of him just fighting these little droids. It kind <laughs> yeah. of got a bit much, but yeah. Um, when we were talking about Star Wars in our last podcast too, and we talked about how Jason Aaron got C-3PO down, I felt like it was the opposite for this book because 3PO was super whiny in this one. Yeah. That really yeah, kind of soured me. I'm like, oh my god, 3PO, just shut up on this one, please. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's the I, thing, I, I that's the thing about there. C-3PO. I mean, he's, he's 
annoying, but he's he's not whiny. You don't you don't like want him to never be in your book. Like you, you want he's part of the team and he's sometimes funny in his own really annoying way, but if he's not um, he's not supposed to be somebody you hate, really. Right. And then the, uh, the one thing that I'm actually before we move on, the one thing I'm actually very interested in is there's the character in Weapon of Jedi, the smuggler, who's like the guide that uh, Luke has going into the temple. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, the you know the guy that he fights at the end. Yeah, he had like the. Uh, Vibro sword or something, right? Yeah. What's really interesting to me is that he's called the Scavenger, and there's a chapter called the Scavenger's Staff. And in The Force Awakens, Rey has that staff that she carries all around, and she's been referred to as a scavenger. And I wonder if that's a connection, maybe, if that's what her staff is. They're making a big deal about them having clues to Force Awakens in the book, mm-hmm. right? So I it's could like see the that. staff is like on the poster with her. She's like holding the staff in the poster. So I know there's Maybe. that like trailer shot of her like jumping on the ships and like grabbing it to smack somebody or whatever. Yeah, so I think maybe that's a link to that. But yeah, it's like a small thing. I just something I noticed when I was reading it. I didn't, so that was a good observation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you want to move on to uh, moving target? Conveniently named. <laughs> I liked moving target. I really, I, I really like um, Princess Leia doing her own thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like this because I think that they really nailed her intelligence a bit. Um, because she is this important part of, of the rebellion as far as planning missions and things like that. And I, I really liked how, I really liked how she came off as, as this really smart leader. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I really liked this book. It was really, it was, it was not, a, I didn't have as much fun with it as I did with Smuggler's Run, but I really liked how she came off. I definitely agree with that. And I think that they went really well in showcasing just her ability to, plot and think on her feet and stuff and i think like when we were talking about the princess leia comic we said that everybody was kind of like just like oh that princess leia she's such a she's such a jerk or whatever and in this one it's just kind of like she's a little stiff but then it has a better balance of her like pure sass Mm -hmm. but her 100 competency because she's a sassy character and that's what makes her amazing uh but she also can see like all the ways through a situation. And yeah. I think that this book illustrated that very well. Uh, I, I, I do agree with that, but the one thing that really caught me off guard is how silly this book gets. There's, like, a whole couple of chapters that are just, like, the beach episode of an anime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where they, like, go to the beach planet and they're all in, like, Hawaiian shirts and tropical shorts, and I'm like, wait a minute. Excuse, like we've got this like big alien commando and he's in like a Hawaiian shirt and I'm like, I I'm trying to visualize this and it just 
like it didn't work for me. It kind of took me out of the story for a couple of chapters. But overall, I think it was like I wouldn't say it's like the weakest of the three, but like there there were elements where I was just kind of like, okay, that's a bit it's a bit goofy, even for a Star Wars story. <laughs> I will say this: I do want to see a book like this, like with, with a Princess Leia starring role, um, written by someone that does YA books geared towards um, teenage girls. Because that was part of why I liked the Black Widow book so much. Because the Margaret Stahl, who wrote who wrote that, she has a lot of experience with YA books with female protagonists geared towards female readers. So I kind of like to see a Princess Leia book in the same in the, done the same way. I think that would be an interesting an interesting read. I think there's so no, many. You say that. Sorry, Here. go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I think there's so many characters like that that I want to see a more like just an approach at all. Um, like Princess Leia, I'd love to see a Lois Lane kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. those kind of come in the same regard to me. It's just like, why are you missing all these opportunities? Yeah. Because what I was gonna say was the when you say that, it, like, kind of springs to mind like the author of Lost Stars might be a good fit for that kind of book. Yes. For like um, a young adult kind of Princess Leia story. See, uh, Margaret Stahl, she wrote Beautiful Creatures, which um, was, I think that was a movie. I just don't think it was successful. <laughs> um, but I kind of want to see... I think I remember that. Yeah, I, I don't I, I knew about Beautiful Creatures, but I had not actually read Beautiful Creatures, but yes, I was right. It was made into a movie, but it just never took off. But the book has sold millions of copies all over the world and she's pretty well known for it. So I kinda wanna see something like that done with with Star Wars. I mean just the marketing, which is great. Because you want these books to get into more hands. So make it appealing for all kinds of readers. And I think actually that's why I'm so attracted to these three books. Um, it's because these are the three that I've definitely read. Is that they have the kind of all ages approach. And like Star Wars, in and of itself, is it's totally a kids movie that has appeal for everybody. Um, but it doesn't, at least initially, get too dark, and it doesn't shy uh, like shy away from being silly at times or just purely adventurous and fun at times and i think that these books capture a lot of kind of that broad appeal for like a bigger audience of people who can just appreciate things on like either just a fun level or like an adventuresome level or even like a oh look what our characters are doing level yeah because even like when you hit empire strikes back like it's only really dark kind of towards the end but yeah. there is still a lot of humor kind of built into that because like you have the whole like big fight between luke and vader but you're intercutting that with like c3po being half dismantled and carried about with chewbacca like it's not all dark there i think the darkest moment of that movie would probably be Han getting frozen to be, if um, mm-hmm. I think my argument would go and then after that it just kind of still maintains a very adventure romance style mm-hmm. yeah although I will I will say this I would not mind reading a beach book with Leia and Han Solo <laughs> with Han wearing like the most 
patchy Hawaiian shirt ever. Leia with like huge sunglasses. Like I'd be here for that. <laughs> Han Solo with the like Hawaiian shirt, but still the vest from A New Hope yes. on top of it. Yes. Yes. Because they had to fly the Millennium Falcon to the beach, so he needed to wear the vest because he can't fly the Millennium Falcon without it. It's perfect. It writes itself. <laughs> as long as you knew that the whole book was that, and it just didn't yeah, suddenly yeah. have a weird tonal shift in the middle, yeah. where you're like, uh-huh. I get that. Yeah, no, I, 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 I would pay money to read that. That'd be cool. So, um, I think we mentioned it before we got into recording, but I uh, not the, the, I'm talking about the actress, Ray, um, Finn, Finn and, and, and uh, Poe. Is it Poe yeah. or Kylo Ren? Oh, was it? I think it's Poe Dameron. I think it's yeah, Poe think... because I think they wanted to do the three heroes first. Although oh, yeah. I definitely do want to do some Kylo Ren books. I, I think it's actually one, like one book, but it's three stories inside that. It looks like it's, yeah, it's an anthology of Finn, Ray, and Poe Dameron that's coming out the same day as the film, actually. Oh, wow. Um, Greg Rucka's doing all these ones, or doing this book again, isn't he? Yeah, it's going to be the same style as those three books where uh, Greg is going to be writing all three stories with uh, cover art and illustrations by Phil Noto inside. So I'm actually really looking forward to that. I think I'm more excited for those three stories than the next Aftermath book. <laughs> Which, and I don't even, I didn't even dislike Aftermath like some people did. I, I, I enjoyed that book, but I think I'm more excited for these three. Because just from yeah, the trailers, no. they're so, they're so charismatic already. Like I am. In love I, I, with I'm, I'm really interested in seeing, like Ray's story. If uh, I'm right about who I think she is. I'm really interested to see what they do with that. You you think you think Ray is? I think Ray's a Skywalker. You think she's a Skywalker? Yeah. I'm convinced. Hashtag Ray confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one more uh, thought on these three books, but or one more question for these three books. What did you guys think of the? Or what did you what did you think of the uh, beginning and ending? The bookends taking place during kind of Force Awakens times with the Resistance. I thought that was a really smart move. I thought that was a really cool way of, like, tying them into the Force Awakens and kind of, like, teasing how things have changed, but keeping, like, the actual main story set during the events of the original trilogy and not giving too much away. I think they did a really, really good job with that. Yeah, I really like uh, where Leia's story is because she's telling this story because something else is happening. Like, she's recounting this story because, once again, there's war, and so she's dealing with all the stuff that happened in the past and what kind of sacrifices people are going to have to make. And so I thought that, I, I thought those those epilogues and prologues were wonderful. I, I thought that was great. Because it can't give away too much yet. we got to wait another month, and then we'll get everything. It would be, it'd be crazy. Yeah. Then you go back and you'd be like, oh, I see what they're referencing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cause the the one that I I thought was kind of cool was uh, the guy that Han and Chewbacca are like rescuing in Smuggler's Return shows up in Moving Target. Right. Like, in the like uh, bookends, he's like 
in general with like what is I guess now the resistance. I thought that was a cool way of like tying them in together, and I'm really interested to see see if he like shows up in the film at all. That would be cool. I remember about those ones too. Luke Skywalker is not in his book. Like it's being narrated from C-3PO and like some random pilot, I think, to keep yeah. this mystery of the Skywalker going. Like we're we're not allowed to know where Luke Skywalker is. Yeah, he's probably dead or something. I don't know. At this point, he could be anywhere. He could be like cosplaying his Darth Vader in the background for all we know. Um, I'm trying to think. What haven't we talked about? Well, as far as as far as the books go, and looking at the future of the books, are you at all interested in reading books featuring the original characters, but set during this time of quote peace before the new movie takes place, in between episode six and and episode yeah six and and this new movie? Are you interested in reading those stories, like just? Han, Leia, and their happy little family just kind of flying around the stage, chilling. I'm interested in a novel about what Luke does between those films. I don't know if I'm interested about Han and Leia. Maybe if it's like how they do with Aftermath, where like Han shows up in like uh, one of the interlude chapters, and we kind of get an idea that he's like still working with the New Republic, but he's still kind of like smuggling on the side maybe but i don't know if i'd read like a full novel of like leia just pulling a house of cards and being in the new republic senate but i i I guess it would depend on like how they do it maybe okay i always feel like the star wars books that i'm always most drawn toward and stuff are the ones where they take a different genre and just put the star wars characters in them so i know one of the last ones were like scoundrels i think timothy zahn wrote that i don't know if it's part of this disney one or not but that was just I like a heist thing so. i'm not sure I know, either. I know the one you mean i'm gonna trust i'm gonna trust you alice because i figured that you probably wait no more than i do but uh like i like that it was just the idea of it being a heist thing um or there was the like they had that horror one with like death troopers or something Oh yeah, the Star Wars zombie novel. Yeah, which was a very, very strange. I haven't read it, but I, I, I kind of want to, just for the idea of zombie stormtroopers. <laughs> that's it's just that's a very silly phrase, and I think it's amazing. Um, but like the idea that it doesn't necessarily have to do anything with like the giant epic scope of this tale of the Skywalkers, but it's like there's still a galaxy way out there. Those are the kind of Star Wars books that I'm really drawn to with or without like our favorite characters yeah because what i'm interested in going forward is how disney are like deciding what is worth putting in a novel and what is worth making an anthology film of because we're getting like rogue one which is this big what like band of brothers war film about stealing the death star plans and like once upon a time that would have been a novel instead of a movie so like if you're putting money towards like a story like that in a movie what are you deciding to put in the novels going forward is what interests me yeah because i guess at a certain point you can just like turn anything into a anthology film if they're making star wars movies 
forever, apparently. Apparently, yeah. Once yeah. a year, forever. The <laughs> ultimate warrior. The oh. spirit of Star Wars will go on forever. It's the Star Wars decade. That's what we're looking forward to. I mean, to be fair, Star Wars does lend itself to all these stories. It's just how many of them will be good. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's a lot of the problem with the novels that I've encountered and why I've never gotten through as many of them as I think I would have liked to is that they're put out in such a strong in such a like short amount of time and Lucasfilm has such like a big control over what they're doing it feels almost even more controlling than like a Marvel or DC editorial that a lot of it especially in like the first couple pages or whatever just doesn't feel like it has any life to it to me it just feels very committee driven yeah, I can see that, but in my experience with the ones that I've read, the majority of them have been really good. The only one I haven't read so far, like I said, is the Battlefront Twilight Company, but I feel like that one's not really too important to me. It's like a tie into a video game, so like I'll get to it eventually, but like something like uh like Tarkin like that was that was, like, really good and really actually well-written. Okay. And, like, even I was surprised with, like, Aftermath is really well-written, like, just in terms of, like, the actual prose of the story. Like, it weirded me out that set in, like, present tense. That took a while getting used to, but, like, I was actually really surprised with how well it's actually written. Okay. Um... I guess you two have definitely read more of these Star Wars books than I have. Um, if you had to recommend, like, one, which one would you recommend? Um, or, like, one to start with, say, like, get this one, definitely. The one I'd say to start with is actually Lords of the Sith. It's a one that's set, like, not long after Revenge of the Sith, and it's, like, a basically, like, a buddy cop story between Darth Vader and Palpatine. <laughs> like, set during this, like, it's like, it, like, legit, it's like this weird, like, buddy cop style thing. Like, not, it's like, imagine if Lethal Weapon but Darth Vader's Mel Gibson. Oh my gosh. It's you're kind just, of amazing. You're really selling Sorry? this. I might actually have to pick this up. That sounds great. <laughs> it's really good because it's set, it's this, like, big, uh, assassination attempt on Vader and the Empire and it kind of ties into the like Ryloth arcs of the Clone Wars TV show mm -hmm. uh, and it's this kind of like you're seeing like the start of some of the rebellion kind of like uh, mindset but you're also getting because it's like Vader is one of the like main point of view characters so you're getting that same kind of thing with like the Vader comic where you're getting to like inside the mindset and it's because it's set relatively close to revenge of the sith you're seeing that transition from like his mindset of like oh god what have i done to be like stuck in this metal suit to like this remorseless like badass killer that we saw in a new hope so i really liked seeing that kind of uh transition throughout the novel plus well, like i said buddy cop story all i can think of right now is 
Palpatine saying he's getting too old for this shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, they could have like worked that in, and it would felt completely natural oh with God. the story they're telling. It's amazing. See, now, yeah, now that's I think like, that's one the book. one I have to read next because I have them, I have all of them, I've given a chance to read them, and now I think that's going to be the one. Now I don't have a tough oh, time so deciding, good. now I'm just going to read that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think of all of the few books that I've read, I think um, if you're really into the movies and you just don't really know a lot about like comic books, then start with Aftermath and then go on to everything else. Um, but if you're really on the fence about what to read, I think just go with Smuggler's Run because it's Greg Rucka. If you read comics, you know him. Mm-hmm. So just start with that. I mean, that was that really did it for me. It's like, this is so good. So I just kept going. Cool. Yeah, that's a fair point. Thanks to Matt and Alice and Jess and Zach and Vince and James for joining me on this week's podcast. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. We are going to keep our hotline open a little bit later. We're going to keep it open for about two weeks and then put together an episode that will be all of our initial reactions to The Force Awakens, both Multiversity staff and our listeners. So please call in 973-913-4627. You can also email the show, forceghostc2c at gmail.com, or tweet at us, at forceghostc2c. Uh, we're going to be back with our last episode, our last regular episode, at least for now. There's talk about doing this more frequently, but for now it's going to be, um, you know, seven parts, and we're done, and that's that. But we hope you guys have enjoyed it. We hope you keep listening to other Multiversity products. And please check out MultiversityComics.com for all your Multiversity needs. Um, If you like our podcasts, me, Vince, and Zach do one called the DC3Cast. Greg Matasevich and our editor, Mike Romeo, do do a podcast called Robots from Tomorrow. And our pal, Chris Thompson, who's been on a few episodes here, he does a podcast called Orbital in Conversation. Uh, both Robots from Tomorrow and Orbital and Conversation are fantastic. I am less bullish on the DC3 cast, only because you have to listen to me talk for a good portion of it. But uh, Vince and Zach are brilliant, so it's worth listening to for just those guys. We are going to wrap things up today with a monologue by our pal Zach, who you heard earlier today. Uh, Zach has a theory he wants to share. And uh, until next time, may the Force be with you. of thought that would likely be better suited for the podcast and the prequels. However, I missed the boat on that one. Um, Thankfully, Brian was kind enough to humor me and insert this piece into whichever episode he chose. So thank you, Brian. Um, I'm going to be a bit of a contrarian when I make this argument, an argument that I've titled Anakin was right. Um, That's something that I don't think you'll see on a t-shirt anytime soon. 
Uh, what what is Anakin, the petulant creeper whose existence in the prequels undermines everything that made Vader so menacing in the original trilogy ever been right about? Um, in this case, I'm referring to a statement that he makes on Mustafar in Revenge of the Sith when battling Obi-Wan, the infamous, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. This is um, one of several Anakin quotes that me and my friends love to poke fun at, but for the sake of this argument, I'm going to take it at face value. Um, and likewise, I'm going to take the full text of Star Wars as it's presented at face value. I'm uh, not going to look too far into... Lucas's intentions or his adequacy as a storyteller. I'm just going to look at what we have. And so I begin with the idea of perspective. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the original trilogy is the scene that follows the death of Yoda when Luke confronts Obi-Wan about his newly revealed parentage. And when explaining this deception, Obi-Wan makes the argument that his previous statements um, that Vader had killed Anakin is true from a certain point of view. This line is one of the first signs of a kind of gray thinking that I think um, is in, in a story that up to this point has largely been, largely been black and white, you know, a story of good versus evil. It calls into question our understanding of the world and whether what is presented to us is totally true or if there's a little bit more to it. Interestingly, Anakin uses similar language to justify his break from the Jedi Order, the previously alluded Jedi or evil line. Um, I can't see this as a coincidence. In the context of the story, I think it has to be intentional. This is such a pivotal moment in the lives of these two characters, and I'm thinking that 20-plus years of silent solitude, even after that, Obi-Wan would still remember this exchange when talking with Luke on Dagobah. So now, do I really think the Jedi are evil? Evil with a capital E? Um, no, especially when you compare them to someone like Palpatine, who is clearly the embodiment of evil in the Star Wars universe. They, they aren't evil, um, but I don't think that they're necessarily good either, at least by the time we see them in the prequels. I mean, uh, look at them. They are, they are um, clearly, clearly um, instrumental in the declining state of the Republic. Um, they're unquestioning of the highly convenient but immensely suspect clone army, and they are very fearful of Anakin and this prophecy that we really don't know that much about. Um, one can argue that they aren't merely blinded by the presence of the dark side. They are also, um, as a collective, drifting closer to it. <clears throat> at best, I think you could say that they're inept pawns, and at worst, they're complicit participants in the fall of the Republic. Uh, they themselves are directly or possibly indirectly contributing to the imbalance of the force that they're all so worried about. So when you think about the Jedi we see in the prequels, it's not necessarily the most normalized sample. If you were taking a survey of the Jedi that we see, primarily the ones on the council, you know you're not getting the best sample size or the best sample group. Um, you know, we, I think we're told that there are something around 10,000 Jedi in the galaxy at the time of the prequels, but we see maybe less than 20 of them for any significant amount of time. If you took the 10 most prominent Jedi that we see, that would make up 0.1% of the whole group. They're not all going to be paragons like Yoda or Obi-Wan or Mavericks and trendsetters like Qui-Gon, um, but I think we can still learn a lot from these characters. So I'm going to take some time to go through 
a few of these Jedi and just kind of look at them. So we'll start with Yoda, who's arguably the greatest Jedi. Um, his midichlorian account is the the gauge by which we judge Anakin's, you know, immense power and importance. Um, and, you know, he, he's the wisest of the Jedi. He's the one that Luke goes to learn from. And I think he's kind of the gold standard when it comes to Jedi for us. But even as great as he is, he can't see through um, Darth Sidious's plot until it's too late, which is a failure that he readily admits. Um, also, his fear of Anakin and the prophecy arguably plays a large role in Anakin's eventual fall. Um, you could argue that he's he and others are at least indirectly responsible um, so while he's definitely on the far side of what I would call the, the light side, he's not without his faults. Now, compared to Yoda, someone like Master Windu, who is probably equally great in different ways, but he is kind of a darker character. Um, he's, he's powerful, but kind of unreserved. He's very proud, and I would argue kind of short-sighted. If I'm going to get really nerdy, which if this argument didn't already prove how much of a nerd it is that I am, you know, I don't know what more damage this could do, but you delve into the expanded universe and you learn that Mace Windu created his own lightsaber style, one that draws dangerously close to the dark side. And this is something that's always bothered me. Why would the Jedi approve of something like this or even go along with it? It seems too dangerous. And I think it points to the current complacency of the Jedi at this point. Then you have people like Qui-Gon, and I would say by extension Count Dooku, um, his previous master. This duo, I think, represent the kind of progressive Jedi. These are characters who aren't content to toe the party line. They're constantly questioning the status quo and the powers that be and going against the grain. Um... I think that these two characters see the flaw in the Jedi at the time, though their reactions are different, with Qui-Gon choosing a kind of passive resistance, and Dooku embracing the Sith and open rebellion. Um, I think that the dissension from these two characters characterizes the disharmony that we see in the prequel era. Next, I want to look at Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is the Boy Scout of the Jedi, the Superman, if you will, if you or one who makes that comparison. Um, he is kind, he's innocent, and he's more than a little naive. If there's one character that I think embodies the idealized Jedi, it's Obi-Wan. Unless, of course, you're one of the tinfoil hat wearers who subscribe to the theory that old Ben put a hit out on Owen and Amperu, but I think that's best left for another conversation. Um, because of Obi-Wan's goodness, I don't think he's necessarily the best cipher for the state of the Jedi at this point. When he recalls the Jedi in New Hope, he describes them as the guardians of peace and justice, um, which I take with a grain of salt. They were still people, and they still made mistakes, which we see numerous times. Um, this feels uh, more like the idealized recollection of a boy who never missed a day of Sunday school, rather than a um, unbiased recollection. Uh, likewise, when he declares Anakin, when he declares Anakin is truly lost for his rejection of the Jedi and Mustafar, I think it's more a hopeless declaration, declaration of a of a scorned friend or brother rather than a definitive 
judgment on Anakin's soul, which, you know, as we find out later in Jedi, as Luke finds out, there's still some good in him, so he's not totally lost. And finally, you know, there is Anakin, who I think is, for all intents and purposes, the encapsulation of all these traits. He has Yoda and Windu's power, he has Obi-Wan's idealism and naivety, and he has Qui-Gon's rebellious nature. It seems fitting, then, that this would be the one referred to in the prophecy to bring balance to the Force. And if the Jedi were off the rails by this point, take them out of the equation, as he does, does seem to do the trick. Not that I condone mass genocide, of course. This leads me to my final comments on perspective in the Star Wars universe, particularly regarding the prophecy of the One and the nature of, quote, balancing the Force. I think um, I, along with the DC3 guys, may have touched on the whole prophecy thing in the prequel episode, but we've had so many off-the-air conversations I can't say for sure. So, basically, just to sum up my thoughts on the prophecy, I I don't think it's necessarily something we can put a lot of stock in. For one, we don't know a lot about it. There's no way to prove its validity, no real indication of what it refers to, or even how the Force is to be balanced. Um, I think the Jedi of the prequels take this prophecy and kind of fill in the blanks based on what they're concerned about at that point, the creeping presence of the dark side. Um, and this perceived decline of the Republic, I think, they are looking for a savior and take the prophecy and this boy as kind of a safety blanket, if you will, even though they're kind of still afraid of it. And so I don't think they offer the most reliable and unbiased view of the world at this time. So what really constitutes balance of the Force? And I upfront make no claim to be an authority on this, but um, I think there are a few viewpoints that people often take, and I kind of want to look at those. Um, I think the majority would say that they would side with the Jedi and say that elimination of the Sith would bring balance to the Force. This, of course, assumes that the Jedi themselves are balanced with the Force, which I hoped that I've established isn't the case at this point. Others would take a more literal approach and say that balance comes from having an equal number of Sith and an equal number of Jedi, which I think is the position that Brian takes. And by the end of Revenge of the Sith, we do have that. We have two Jedi, um, Obi-Wan and Yoda, and we have two Sith, um, Vader and Sidious. I think that this is a fine theory, but it doesn't quite sit well with me, mostly just because this doesn't last. Um, this isn't where the story ends. Let's see. Um, I think, to me, the the point, the view that I have on the balance of the Force is in line with what I think is the primary theme of Star Wars. And I think that's a theme of harmony and unity. Um, balance itself is, balance is, can be synonymous with harmony. And as in real life, balance or harmony is found when we stop focusing on the things that divide us and focus on what unites us. And I'm sorry if that sounds a little preachy. Um, but this is what Luke did in Return of the Jedi. He looked past Vader's sins, the things he had done wrong, the things that separated them. And he looked for what they shared, um, you know, their own blood relationship, their compassion and hope and, you know, quote, goodness. And in doing so, he was able to overcome the greatest source of disharmony, 
um, Palpatine. And so, in conclusion, I don't think Anakin was always right. But I think in his own misguided way, he was on to something about the Jedi. And I think it's something that we let our preconceived notions of the text overshadow. Um, this perception that the Jedi are the guardians of peace and justice, which, from a certain point of view, may not be the case. Uh, I'm sure by now that I've probably riled up a number of listeners who would love to tell me how silly my point of view is, or maybe maybe you agree and want to add on to that, and that's something that I would love. We do have the, the voicemail set up, and I would love to hear back from some of you, because one of the most beautiful and wonderful things about Star Wars, and really just narrative in general, is of course the infinite the infinite points of view that it generates. So I thank you, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show.